0: Hi again, everybody. Tony Richards, Master Coach here, host of Better Than Before on the C-Suite Radio Network. We've got another episode of our fantastic show for you today. Coming up today, we're going to talk about the Wall Street Journal celebrates a birthday. One of its journalists is also being kept captive in Russia. And we will go down the national day calendar. And a special guest on the show today Dr. Karen Jacobson, a very good friend of mine and founder of the Aligned Leadership Academy, will be here today to share a lot of interesting things, not the least of which is that she was a commander in the Israeli army. When she was coming of age in Israel, the country was in a war, and that sparked her to become a commander. Well, it it sparked her to enlist and join the ranks of the army and then become a commander. So we are excited that she is with us today here on Better Than Before, and she will be able to tell the story. So let's start today with the story about the journalist who's being held captive. It was 100 days that Evan Gerskovich, who is a correspondent to Russia for the Wall Street Journal, this past Saturday marked 100 days he has been detained while he was on a reporting trip. And he's been held since then in Moscow's Lefortovo prison. And he is under accusation of being a spy doing espionage for the United States, which He, the Wall Street Journal, and the U.S. government vehemently deny. Evan, whose parents are of Soviet descent, has brought interesting insight to the stories of everyday Russians during this conflict and even before the conflict broke out. And the Wall Street Journal declares he has committed no crime, only journalism. And I wanted to share with you, if you want to support Evan and his release on your social media. The hashtag that is being promoted is hashtag I stand with Evan now all together. And he spells his name E-V-A-N. So it's I-S-T-A-N-D-W-I-T-H-E-V-A-N. And that's the hashtag I stand with Evan. And if you're interested in showing solidarity to get Evan released, as I'm sure if it was one of your relatives or one of your close friends or something like that, you would definitely want them to be safe and be released from prison. And so you can include that on your social media if you want to be part of the effort of getting Evan out of the Russian prison. This past Saturday, July 8th in 1889, this is also in conjunction with the Wall Street Journal. It is the day the Wall Street Journal's very first issue came out. It had three financial reporters, Charles Dow, Edward Jones, and Charles Bergstresser. So now you know where the infamous index name came from. Dow and Jones, the pioneers behind the newspaper, established the Dow Jones Industrial Average, one of the most widely followed indexes in the U.S., along with the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. So in 1889, this past Saturday, that's when... The uh, Wall Street Journal first came out and was the impetus for the Dow Jones Index. Let's go through our uh, national holidays, or at least national recognition days for the next week. On July 11th, it is Cow Appreciation Day, so please appreciate the cows around you. It is World Population Day. It's also National 7-Eleven Day. National Mojito Day, A Mojito is a drink, in case you don't know, M-O-J-I-T-O, Mojito, National Mojito Day, it's All-American Pet Photo Day, oh my gosh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are going to get flooded with pet pictures, just like every other day. It's National Blueberry Muffin Day, National Rainier Cherry Day, and National Cheer Up the Lonely Day, all on July 11th. On July the 12th, which is a Wednesday this year, it is Eat Your Jello Day, National Paper Bag Day, National Pecan Pie Day. It seems like we have a pie every week, doesn't it? National Different Colored Eyes Day. I have an uncle on my. Well, he's married to my dad's sister, so my Uncle Don Grimes, he has different colored eyes. Each one of his eyes, he has one blue one and one green one. So this would be his day and also your day if you're born with different colored eyes. National Simplicity Day. Thank the Lord. July the 13th. Thursday this year, National Barbershop Music Appreciation Day. It's National Beans and Franks Day and National Delaware Day. On July 14th, it's National French Friday, National Mac and Cheese Day. My gosh, sometime during Friday, you got to have a big bowl of mac and cheese. Who doesn't love that? World Kebab Day, which is good for grilling out. National Nude Day. Oh, my gosh. National Tape Measure Day. It's Bastille Day. It is Collector Car Appreciation Day. National Grand Marnier Day. And July 15th on Saturday, it's National Gummy Worm Day. National Tapioca Pudding Day. National I Love Horses Day. National Pet Fire Safety Day. National Give Something Away Day. Gosh, I could do that and still have a garage full of stuff. It's World Youth Skills Day, and that reminds me, you need to identify the organizations in your community that help the youth develop skills, and you need to support them in any way that you possibly can. Toss away the could-haves and should-haves day. On July the 16th, That is next Sunday, it's Corn Fritters Day, National Personal Chef Day, World Snake Day, and National Ice Cream Day. Next Monday, the 17th, it is Day for International Criminal Justice, National Get Out of the Doghouse Day, National Lottery Day, National Tattoo Day, World Emoji Day. National Yellow Pig Day, National Wrong Way Corrigan Day, and National Peach Ice Cream Day. And those are the national days that are set aside for your enjoyment and for your celebration for the next week. And now, without further delay, let's get to our special guest this week. Dr. Karen Jacobson is our guest today, founder of Aligned Leadership Academy. She's a former Israeli military commander and competitive ballroom dancer. She's an expert in neuroscience and human potential. She stepped away from her chiropractic practice to pursue her passion of working with organizations to provide them with competitive edge by developing their leaders and high-performance teams. She's also the author of the Business Communication Guide Power Conversations, as well as the developer of the High Performance Triad Strategy for Maximizing Your Talents, Skills, and Effectiveness in both the personal and professional arenas. So... Our goal today is to have an energizing and wonderful conversation. That's what Karen has told me my challenge is today. So no pressure, I said. So, Karen, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: So glad that you're here. And there's so many interesting things about you. I know I have to pick somewhere to start, but... I think just the phrase former Israeli commander is a great place to start. So tell us about how you ended up you were born in Israel, is that right?
1: No, I was actually born in New York. I see. And when I was just a little over 6 years old, my parents moved the entire family to Israel. My mother's actually originally from Israel. And we moved there and when I was 6 years old,
0: So how did the Israeli commander come about?
1: You know, the interesting thing is when we moved to Israel, we actually moved during a wartime. And while I was growing up, going through my schooling, I experienced two more wars and watching soldiers and watching the military and the whole atmosphere. And and it was a time where people were, I would say, very idealistic. And one of the things that I knew from a young age was that I wanted to be an officer and a commander in the Israeli army. Now, fast forward, when it was time for me to enlist, I actually had some health challenges, which did not allow me to go the traditional route. And one of the things that I know that I learned, and it's a lesson that I share later on, is that sometimes things may not look the way that you think they would, but you could still make them happen. So I ended up working in military intelligence. And at one point, I had the option. I was in a new unit and I had the opportunity and I was given a choice. What do you want to do in this unit? A, you could work in the computer room and you and you can work in Intel side. B, you could work with the commander. C, you could work here in admin. D, you can be a combo. We have, we're actually short. We need a non-commissioned officer for all the females. And we had about 80 women in there in our unit and the satellite unit. We needed a non-commissioned officer who is in charge of all the educational aspect of the unit as well as someone who's in charge of all the social needs of all the soldiers and officers at large. So I said, I'm going to take that because I saw that there was a challenge in that. And it had three different hats to wear, a lot of versatility, which is something that's always been important to me, a lot of creativity. And of course, there was a challenge in it. So I took the challenge and was willing to rise to the occasion and ended up not only filling those three spots, but excelling in that arena.
0: So as a person who grew up in a war situation inside a country that was experiencing war, how did that impact you?
1: There was the external level and there was the internal level. The internal level, there were aspects where for many years, There was stress, there was anxiety. To be frank, when I moved back after I got out of the army, I did a lot of personal work to unravel some of that aspect of being in a state of always being prepared and always worrying about what might happen. Are we going to have another war? Are we going to have a terror attack? I'm glad you
0: brought that up because I wanted to ask, and I'm going to throw this in while you're talking about it. But I was wondering if being in the Israeli army, did that soothe some of your anxiety or did it intensify it?
1: Probably to a certain degree, because of the fact that I was experiencing a lot of challenges and health challenges at the time. It wasn't the ideal situation. But when I go back and I look at all of that and I say that there were the internal things, what it did for me emotionally, but what it did for me on other levels, it gave me skills and tools and the ability to learn how to think on my feet, how to handle situation in a calm fashion, how to solve problems it helped me with strategic thinking. So there were so many lessons along the way that helped me evolve and develop as a person while I'm still having to clear some of the emotional and internal aspects.
0: I, I, that's why I was curious, because I would think that most civilians who are growing up in a war-torn situation, they don't have a lot of empowerment to do anything about it. They're just in the middle of it, right? But being in the army might have given you a sense of engagement, like you are actually taking steps to do something about the situation.
1: The time that I grew up, there was actually a lot of empowerment for people. We had, there was a, they called it Mishmar there was like a civil service that was protecting neighborhoods. People were empowered to do things. But by the same token, there was the aspect of whether you hear sirens you know and there's some type of attack or whether there's an, a news that a bus got hijacked or that there was a terror attack somewhere so there so or even going down to the bus stop and seeing the mechanical robot where everybody had to clear away and there's the mechanical robot because of the fact that there was a suspect object that was left there and always concerned that it could potentially be a bomb mm. And so it was living with a certain amount of tension and stress on a regular basis. And by the same token, you watch the people and you watch them develop resilience. You watch them get stronger. You watch them be able to cope with certain things better than in other places where you don't have that kind of tension.
0: So you gained all these really cool skills and a certain type of thinking and all of that, that was helpful. How did you go from that to saying, you know, I really want to go to chiropractic school?
1: When I got out of the army and it was pretty much 15 years to the, when I moved back to the States, I came to the States. My father was living here. I came to the States to work and earn some money so that I can go back to school and go to the university in Israel. And my father was running a summer camp which had gymnastics and equipment and other things. And I used to do gymnastics when I was a lot younger. And so I went on the equipment and unfortunately for me, I ended up overdoing something and ended up with a torn hamstring, which eventually landed me in a chiropractic office. And, my original path was going to be physical therapy because I was very interested in the human body and because of the fact that my journey had shifted and I ended up in a chiropractor's office and while I was in the chiropractor's office the fascinating thing was that not only some of the injuries that I had and the but the health issues and the severe problems that I had especially in the last few years in high school everything started disappearing mm-hmm. And my health got better and better. And as my health got better, I'm like, hmm, this is really powerful. I wanna understand more about it. And it was a birthday party for my godmother at the time, where an old family friend showed up and we had a conversation. And one of the things he said, I'm the recruiter for New York Chiropractic. I'd love for you to come and meet with the dean okay, take a drive out there. And Uncle Morty was right.
0: That's awesome.
1: Once I got to the school and I remember walking into the cafeteria with the student, and it was a small cafeteria, but it was lively, Tony. And I walked in there and I'm like, I'm going to go to school here. So I went back, shifted my major, started taking doubling up on classes. And within a year, a little over a year, I was in chiropractic school.
0: That's great. Now, how long did you practice chiropractic?
1: I practiced for 2092 to probably for 26, 27, almost 27 years.
0: Oh, wow, that's quite a run.
1: And the key thing behind that is I started off practicing in New York. And after had a car accident in New York, I ended up selling the practice, moving to Arizona and starting over and building a practice out in Arizona, which ultimately had a nice practice, was able to make a big impact in the community And at some point, I was involved with a television show, and that kind of brought out the bug for me for performance, Mm -hmm. which is where I created my shift to the next direction, and after that made my career change.
0: It made you just want to get on stages and teach people, right, and speak and...
1: I've always been on stages when I was in chiropractic. I always used to talk. I used to, I used to deliver talks, whether it was in the office or in the community. I was involved on a local, national and international level with the chiropractic associations. And I did work in whether it was seminars that I helped with conventions or even training and mentoring new doctors. So that aspect of paying it forward has always been there. But the stage itself was the small stage. And it was more, it might have been one-on-one, on one-on, you know, a small group. And after the time when we did the television show, yeah, the I would say the bug to be on a bigger stage, have a bigger impact, just came back.
0: And I want to get into your coaching and training and development practice. That's primarily why you're here today. But before we go there, competitive ballroom dancing. So, where did that appear?
1: I've always been known to be the first one on the dance floor, the last one off whenever there's a party.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When I that. Yeah, kid- but
0: you're typically not scored for that. I mean, typically people aren't looking at. The last time I danced was probably at like 2 a.m. at the bar, and it was last call. And, you know, but no one was scoring me on a card. But you're in competitive dancing. Yes. Yeah.
1: But that's part of my, I, I am, and I've always been highly competitive. And when there was something that could have an art and could have performance and could have dance all together and add that into Latin music, I'm sold. Yeah. Uh, the first time that I really got the bug for some of the Latin dance was when I was on a mission to Panama with a group of chiropractors. And that was the time when when there was really a huge growth in teaching people salsa. And so I got caught with that bug. And when I came back, I'm like, well, I want to take it more and I want to take it more into a competitive level. And within a couple of years, I, I remember the story of how I went to the studio and showed up in the studio and I had my credit card and I dropped it on the table. I said, here's my card. Tell me what I need to do. Five months later, I was on the dance floor and I won my first competition. So it's something that that's kind of been in my blood for years.
0: What'd you learn from it?
1: The coolest part about ballroom is that it is a partner competition. It's partner dancing. And in that if you think about painting a picture, it's the male dancer, their job is to create the frame for a picture. So they're leading. Now you take someone like me, who's always been a born leader, and I actually have to learn how to step back Mm. and be led. And I've also been very lucky that my instructor was, you know, we had a similar background. He, he came in from Bosnia, and he was in the war in Bosnia. So we had military background that was similar. And we had other ideas and European culture, because growing up in Israel, were very ingrained in European culture. So there were a lot of things in common, but he's also very philosophical and very smart. So we really learned how to weave all the ideas of leadership, communication, teamwork into dance and how effective that communication can be. So there were a lot of lessons that I learned in Ballroom. And on a personal level, it gave more of that presence and helped build confidence and helped me dramatically also when later on, when I went back into speaking and being able to create the right stage presence and connect with the audience.
0: So on a scale of one to 10, how difficult was it for you to follow instead of lead? 11. It was hard, huh?
1: It was very hard. I remember the first time when it came up where there is, there's this move where, the man will hold, will hold his hand and the female has to go under and kind of do like a, like a 360. And he's like, he stopped. And I, and I still have that picture in my head, Tony, of where in the ballroom we were. And he said, Karen, and, and he was, he had a very, at the time had a very heavy Bosnian accent. And he's like, okay, let me explain, explain to you. Okay. Ballroom is like life. My job is to make picture, make you look good. My job is to lead, not yours. Let me do my job. And at that moment, it was like there was this like light went on. And I would say from the point of the connection with the instructor, with my dance teacher, who was also my dance partner, that was like that first spark. Like this guy knows what he's talking about. Mm. And I can learn a lot from him. But there were also other times where I needed to learn. It's learning how to not back lead, how to surrender, but also still work independently.
0: Sounds a lot like coaching.
1: Yes, it is. Because it is coaching through movement. Mm -hmm. It's coaching through movement. And we had done some fascinating types of training. I remember... At one point, I don't remember where I had seen it originally, but I wanted to challenge to be able to embrace the movement. So I danced with him where I was blindfolded. And that had a whole nother type of lesson behind it because of the communication, because all the communication had to come through the hands, where if he's turning an angle to the hand. I work a certain way. There's also a huge lesson in that about developing trust that someone can lead you in the right direction. There were always, always lessons. It's been, you know, it's been a a fascinating journey.
0: You have to learn to surrender. It sounds like, right. I mean, the trust element sounds like on the followers standpoint is like, I got to surrender myself and allow this person to take me in a certain direction. I was just thinking when you were talking about you were doing the Bosnian accent, I'm like, yeah, it sounds like what I tell my clients when you I often tell them when you leave this job, I want everyone to want to put a statue of you out front. Let me lead you for that. Let me frame the situation for you. You still make all the decisions. You still have to run the company, but let me help you get there to the point where Everyone wants to celebrate you leaving. Your legacy is
1: yeah. Your legacy, as opposed to your leaving. Yeah. It's, it's it's you know what I look at it this way. It's Tony. If I would frame it, it's let me help you shine.
0: Yes. Yes. Exactly. So that leads me to how you help your clients
1: when i had started my career shift i started working with more on the individual level and that aspect of let me let you shine it came both from from a number of areas you know one of them was where i worked as a chiropractor which is really about enhancing the human physical potential and mental capacity but the other aspect was i had a program which i talked about unlock your ultimate potential mm-hmm. it's helping you be all that you can be as a human without necessarily having to go to the Army Reserves. But it was about bringing out the best in people. And at a certain point, when I started making the shift, I said, you know, again, working one-on-one has X amount of impact. If I can go and work with a team of 5, 15, 25, I'm having bigger impact. And when I also work with, if I'm working with a leadership team as opposed to an individual, then now they have a ripple effect on how they're working with others.
0: It really is exponential.
1: And that's really where my headspace was. That's where that shift came in. Like I'm moving to work. And some of the things that I brought, whether it was aspects of mindset and aspects of vision, aspects of better health, and who people are bringing it to corporate and still blending in to those organizations where they can absorb it properly is very different than working where somebody might be working one-on-one, whether it's with life coaching or business coaching. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's being able to take the concepts that in, let's say, in the entrepreneur world might be, there's more of a variety of languaging and aspects. I mean, businesses can work on their spiritual side and businesses can work on their business side. Corporate is a little different and being able to go It's a in-
0: lot different, actually. <laughs> it's a lot different.
1: Uh, I know, but being able to, you know, and and it is interesting because these days there's some of that that's starting to seep in, whether it's into B corporations or into newer, younger businesses that are bringing in, uh, you know, uh, if you think about it, 10, 15 years ago, when was the last time you would have seen somebody talking about meditation and mindset in corporate?
0: Yeah. In entrepreneurship, the field is wide open to the person who depends on what they're trying to accomplish with their company. If you move to corporate, then if the CEO is the founder, it can be a lot like entrepreneurship. But if the CEO is not the founder, then the guiding principles of the founder are usually the things that guide. And so it really, that is the difference really, I think.
1: And it also depends on the longevity of a company. A company that has been around for 50 to 70 years is going to have a different makeup than a company that might be five years old, because even if you have some of the more veteran, more seasoned owners and CEOs, they might have a different mindset that might be open to other ideas. Well, the culture
0: is more difficult to deal with, too, especially if you need to change. You know, it's. Oh, the absolutely. Culture, the culture absolutely. is very firmly ingrained. And in most cases, it's become something else. If they've, the company's been around for that long, you know, 70, 75 years, there's been layer upon layer upon layer that's been added on.
1: And very often, when you look to make changes, it's more challenging because of the fact there's a lot of tradition and structure built into those levels. Being able to be more receptive towards new ideas might come depending on who the leadership is. That's why you'll see differences in institutions versus the open market. That's why you'll also see differences. One of the things that I do when I work with leadership teams, I work also on understanding the evolution generationally. One of my programs is leading through the generations in the workplace how to a certain degree, while we're not different, we are different. We're different necessarily more in some of how the world evolved around us and how we adapted, but we're not necessarily different in our values at large, whether it's business, whether it's family, whether it's community, we all embrace those type of values. It's what we focus on and how we go about using some of the tools that we have.
0: couple more questions for you. What's the most important element in a power conversation?
1: Open communication.
0: And so how do you set the situation to make sure that that happens?
1: It's really one of the things that I do in power conversations is One of the things that I use to help build relationships, build rapport, build connections, but that's also kind of an overarching umbrella aspect of what sometimes people talk about, whether it's the people that talk about the crucial conversations or difficult conversations. I talk about power conversations, Mm -hmm. and the reason I coin it power conversations, it's because of the fact that those are conversations that have the opportunity to empower both in the dialogue, empower the two sides, when you're having an authentic, open, and actively listening without bias to the other.
0: That's not easy.
1: No, but the beauty is that those are all learned skills. Mm -hmm. There might be some of us that innately are more objective, or might have done that through our work and our development, might be some that are better listeners than others, might be some that are more open. But when we have the ability to hone in on some of those skills, and really not just hear someone that they're speaking, but really listen to what they are saying, and being able to understand where they're coming from, and respond to that, not react, but respond in a way that keeps value on both sides, that's a powerful conversation.
0: That is. That is. Tell me about the Aligned Leadership Academy.
1: Aligned Leadership Academy is my overarching organization where I work with teams and companies. That's the arm of the business that provides the services as opposed to the speaking side where I might provide a, a keynote session or a breakout session and there's also a reason it, it's come from really a aligning different areas in my own life whether it's the aspect of alignment in military, whether it's alignment physical alignment in chiropractic or posture and alignment in dance mm. so it takes experiences that I've had where alignment, is essential and finding the core messages behind them to really help also align someone mindset to action.
0: I love that. I love that. Okay. We're going to talk about how you can find out more about aligned leadership Academy, plus the other things that Dr. Karen does. And before we do that, though, I want to ask you these 12 rapid fire questions that we ask every guest that comes on the show. Are you ready? Fire away. Number one, tell me the best memory that immediately comes to mind right now for you.
1: Hmm. Actually, I don't know if it's the best memory, but for some reason, a little faux pas came to me when I was living in Manhattan. You know how you uh, when you're riding a bike and you're wanting to hike up your bike onto the sidewalk? Mm-hmm. well kind of creates a problem if you miss the sidewalk
0: <laughs> yes
1: and i missed the sidewalk on fifth avenue oh my in Manhattan, not, just not, not
0: entrance- too many people around
1: <laughs> yeah right just at the entrance to central park and it was one of those that i'm like kind of look around like like who's looking at me and then i kind of get up and dust myself off but I think the reason why that just came to me is because of the fact that there was a lesson behind it. And it's not really how often you fall. It's how you get up.
0: Yes. true. True. Who's the number one hero in your life? Joan of Arc. Why?
1: Mm -hmm. Her fearlessness, her passion. I've actually had a connection to Joan of Arc since I was a young girl.
0: You know, in six years of doing this show, I don't think... Anyone's ever said that one. So great. What's the top value you subscribe to?
1: Probably I would say authenticity.
0: Who's the most important person in your life?
1: Hmm. Other than myself.
0: (laughs) That has been an answer before.
1: I think I like
0: that answer, but
1: I think it's important to value ourselves, but my significant other. What's your
0: most favorite thing in the whole world?
1: Ballroom dancing.
0: That's awesome. What's your favorite food? Fruit. Any specific kind? Berries. Most beautiful place you've ever visited? Israel. If you could describe success in one word, what would the word be? Freedom. How do you want to be remembered? Fondly. (laughs) If you could go back and talk to a much younger Karen, what would the advice be that you would give her?
1: It's funny that you ask, and many people ask that question, and I would look at it this way. I would say, just keep going. And the reason why is because I'm at a point in my life where I've done a lot of things. I know there's still lessons to learn, but I like who I am. And if I went back to give my younger self some advice about being different, I wouldn't be who I am today.
0: That's great. Yeah, I used to always turn over when people would say the thing you've heard a million times, it's lonely at the top. And I would always say, I don't think so. I like me. Like when it's just me, well, I have some great conversations with me.
1: Well, that one or, or what would you do differently? I wouldn't do anything differently.
0: Yeah, you like the way, I mean, all the different paths and twists and turns had a reason, right?
1: Yes. It's how we relate to them. Are there things that happened that sucked? Oh, yes, there are. There were things that that sucked. There were things that were challenged. But
0: we wouldn't trade them.
1: But we wouldn't trade them because we wouldn't be who we are.
0: Yeah, I love that. What's your favorite sound? Music. Oh, mine too. And this one's going to be a summation of all of this, but what's the best lesson you've learned and you've learned a lot of them.
1: No matter what, there's always hope. The sun, the sun will pretty much come up tomorrow, no matter what.
0: That's true. Okay. So tell everybody where to find you, how to get in touch with you, how to find all the great things you can do to help them.
1: Well, I am all over social media, which Basically, well, whether it's Instagram or LinkedIn or my website or Facebook or Twitter, YouTube, everything is all branded under D-R Karen Jacobson. And that would be J-A-C-O-B-S-O-N.
0: Also known affectionately as Dr. J.
1: Yes. And I have a license on the wall to prove that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for the conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. You're a fantastic friend. And we'll have to do this again sometime if you'd like.
1: I would love that, Tony. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share with your listeners and just enjoy some some conversation.
0: Yeah, I didn't even get into any of my neuroscience questions or any of that. So we got plenty of things to talk about again.
1: Then we'll make that part two.
0: Okay, wonderful. Dr. Karen Jacobson, everybody. I want to thank our special guest, Dr. Karen Jacobson, for taking the time with us today. What an interesting life that she's had so far and some great, interesting tips that she had to share with us. I can't wait for her to come back. I really want to talk to her about NLP and neuroscience and some of the other things that she uses with her clients. Just very, very interesting. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards Four. over 20,000 people do and you can be another one of those. I share several tweets and bits of wisdom every single day, or you can drop by the website clearvisiondevelopment.com. All the episodes are in our better than before archives over six years worth of shows, 20 years worth of blog posts, and we have a video library of Clear Vision Television and a whole lot more. Special thanks, as always, to our super producer, Tessa Hall, for putting the show together. And until we visit again next week, I'm your host, Tony Richards, reminding you that everything gets better when you get better.